Well, we'll get to the Panama Canal here in just a minute, but I uh, wanted you to see how that works. In case you aren't aware of what a canal does, um, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Your will be done. That's what we want, right? That's our goal. Over the course of today and the next couple weeks, um, we've, we've been talking about this focus on spiritual practices, our spiritual disciplines. Last week, we shared um, a lot about prayer and how Jesus taught us to pray and the point behind that and how it brings us closer to God's will. And uh, the purpose of training ourselves to get to a point in our life that when we pray, your will be done, we don't just mean it, that we seek it, that we engage it, that we live it out. So finding God's will for our life, I think that if we pulled the whole room and said, hey, um, if, you, if God would tell you what his will, what the plan is for your life in the next 10 to 15 minutes, the next 10 to 15 years, we would all say, absolutely. But he doesn't do that. With good reason, right? Because if we did, then what would we do? We would start planning everything that it takes to get to where God told us we were going. Instead of just letting him lead us where we're going. But finding God's will for our life, it happens through prayer. And it happens through fasting. It happens through submission to his, to his uh, way of life and surrendering our lives to him. There's different ways that God reveals his, his will to us. But internally, what we're talking about is how to discipline ourselves spiritually to see and be more in tune with what God has for us. Because prayer, we talked about that last week, it reveals God's will to us. And fasting, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today, it prepares our hearts for God's will in our life. It gets us ready for what's coming next. And submission, the spiritual discipline of submission, it releases our surrender and ourselves to God's will in our life, and then we get to move forward through that. So today, our goal remains the same, your will be done. That's what we're seeking today. And we'll be looking at, uh, basically, it's prayer's closest companion. A lot of times you'll hear these two words, these two ideas, these two disciplines said together, just like it falls off your tongue. It's like a continuous phrase because it's basically prayer's identical twin that never gets talked about, it seems like, and that's the discipline of fasting, right? Fasting is all about what we just saw on the screen. It's all about out, then in. Just like the canal that we saw those ships go uh, rise up 10 or 15 feet so they could move on, right? And um, the, the water has to come out of the lock in order for the ship to go in. And then it's filled with more, right? And that's how a canal works. The water comes out. The ship goes in. The water fills it up. And the purpose is to take the, the vessel to a new destination that would not be possible without the canal. Can you see where we're going here? In Matthew chapter 6, uh, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like, uh, Jesus shares um, a, a, with this crowd of people. 
It's called the Sermon on the Mount, if you are familiar with church uh, and what goes on in Scripture. But uh, if not, it, the, the Sermon on the Mount is just this compilation of all of Jesus' teachings, right? And it's basically what he, it's his lesson plan for life. And he shared, Jesus would share these concepts uh, probably daily, honestly. But Matthew records it all in one, uh, the, like the full content, like, it's a, like it would be right now. If somebody came up here to speak, he wrote it down. And so last week, we talked a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount from Luke's perspective. And it was just the pieces of it, right? Because it's not... Uh, Luke wasn't there. He wrote his gospel 40 years after uh, or so, and so Matthew was there, and he heard it all, and he heard it a lot. And so right after talking about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us an outline on uh, uh, this communication with God and how we speak to him and how he speaks to us. Then he goes right into how prayer is accompanied with fasting. So let's read those words together. See what stands out to you um, when we read these three verses. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces in, to, uh, to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that you will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So let that resonate in your heart a little bit. Because here Jesus shares how to act when we're fasting, and what, the, what our physical response should be, that nobody should understand what's going on on the inside at this point. If I'm fasting, you don't know about it. I don't walk in and I'm like bent over from because I've, I've fasted for two days and I'm starving and I can't. I don't do that, right? Jesus says uh, that we're supposed to be just day, business as usual, right? Our normal day. Because what's happening in us has nothing to do with outside of us, our appearance, and so um, the thing that, so, so Jesus shares this because that's what the Pharisees would do. The religious leaders, when they prayed, when they fasted, they made sure everybody knew what was going on and see how religious we are, right? Well, Jesus shares what fasting should look like. But the word that stuck out to me in these three verses was the word when. When you fast. Jesus talks about prayer the same way in the, in the seven verses of the Lord's Prayer. And, and he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, go into your room and close the door. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans do. And then he says, when you fast. There's an assumption here that, that Jesus has. There's, there's an implication for us, right, that we're doing it. It's not a matter of if, it's when, Right? And Jesus talks about, uh, he confirms that uh, these two disciplines, they're just an implied part of our spiritual life. That everyone, it should be involuntary. That we take time not just to pray, but also to fast for different things, about different things in our life. Because he knew, uh, and see, Jesus knew fasting on a basic level, it affects your physical being, right? Because you get hungry or you, you're whatever it is that you're fasting it affects you 
physically. So as you're fasting, don't let the world know uh, what's, what's hurting you, right? But God will see it. And so when we're digesting all these practices of how we should follow uh, and as we should fast, you might be just asking, well, what, what's fasting, right? What is that? It's not common in our culture today, right? So first of all, if you Google the word fasting, what do you think is going to come up? Right? There's 81 million results that result uh, that come up and they talk about weight loss, right? Intermittent fasting, that's a common um, weight loss opportunity. Because fasting is just, it's abstaining, right? It's, it's denying your, yourself, your body, something. And most of the time, it's eating, okay? Sometimes it's drinking, whatever the case is. But um, the, as you stop uh, taking in food for a period of time, or you stop taking in whatever you're fasting, okay? So that's what fasting is. You're just abstaining from something particular. And um, so it, it's not something that we do. There, there's a few things that fasting is not about, okay? And like I said, 81 million responses about intermittent diet, diet fasting or a ways to lose weight, it spiritual uh, fasting, it's not a way to lose weight, obviously. It's not something that we do so we try and get God to give us something, all right? Again, to see how holy and, and uh, religious we are, okay? Fasting is not something that we do to show other people how spiritual we are either. Spiritual, the fasting, the purpose of it, it's not physical at all, right? It's, it's spiritual. Fasting prepares our hearts for what God's will in our life will look like. It gets us ready for what's ahead. Because we've talked a lot about in the last three or four weeks, looking forward, right? Fasting is about what's ahead, not in the past. We don't fast in order to fix things that we've already done, okay? Fasting is designed to get ready for the future. It requires so much from us, and it uncovers so much of what we depend on outside of God. Our buddy, Richard Foster, we introduced him last week. He wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline in uh, 1978 or so. And um, he talks about how we grow closer to God by executing these different disciplines in our lives. And, And when he talks about fasting, he says this, More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Fasting reveals the things that control us. Let that hit you between the eyes for just a second. Do you have anything that controls you? Maybe said a different way. Do you have anything in your life that... um, Anything that, that you would rather handle on your own rather than let God have and let him deal with it. One more thing that Richard Foster says is, you know, we, never, we never cover up what is inside of us with food and other things, but in fasting, these things surface. So other things, right? I'm glad that he put that in there. Because fasting always comes with just food, OK? 
okay? It's just food. And Lent is coming up. We talked about Ash Wednesday here in a few weeks, and that's the beginning of Lent. And it's common practice to give up something, to fast something during that time. And it's not just food. When we were college pastors, we had a kid who did give up food for Lent, um, and he was kind of a nut, so he did it for attention. But he lost a ton of weight, and he went through a lot. And I don't know how it affected him spiritually. He did it for a totally different reason. But we can, we can grow by giving up more than just food, right? Because of those other things. The other things. And so um, they're, just, they're things that overwhelm our lives, that take over our lives. And sometimes it has to do with uh, our nourishment. But uh, that they're, they're things that we should deny ourselves and, and those other things for a period of time. So God can have this positive in influence on our heart and just how much, and, and then reveal to us just how much they consume us, right? Like other things. What, there, there, there are other things that exist in our life that control us. I'll list a few, but you have a list in your own head. Just write it down if you want to. Keep track just in a thought bubble if that's what you're doing, Right? There's the obvious ones that change our bodies chemically almost, and, and some things that do change our body chemically, we become dependent on them, like drugs and alcohol, where if we give those up and it's stained to them, it can change our lives completely, right? And then there's the, the internal things, uh, um, and food is another one of those that I think that we'll probably just beat that horse till, uh, to death, right? We know that food and fasting go together a lot of times. But how about this? Our phone, right? Can this control you? Can this kind of thing overwhelm your life in more than different ways? Doing this right here, nonstop for hours on end. Okay, maybe um, maybe it's you know like it, those those devices. They're de- they're they are invented in order to. Um, Hi. Hey. Hey. Hi, pumpkin. Okay. Now go sit with mama. Okay. Go and sit with mama. Here. Oh, sorry. So these phones or other devices, right? They, they're invented, they're, they're marketed in a way that they're designed to overuse, to polarize us, to put us in a silo, to make us alone. Because when we're doing this, we miss a lot of what happens in front of us, right? And the list continues. There's all kinds of things. There's things in your life that you know that can overwhelm or control you. So Jesus, he fasted. When he was here on the earth, it was a common habit. We talked a lot about his prayer habits last week. But he fasted in order to surrender all of himself to the will of God. In order to see and follow God's will for his life, Jesus, who was God in a body, right? His fasting habits, um, they helped him to look forward and be prepared for what was next in his life. And as he begins his ministry... Um, 30 years after he was born, right? 
And he begins this ministry, and he, um, he starts to teach everyone. He, he, before he does all of that, he needs to get ready. And he goes into the wilderness, and he fasts, and he prays for 40 days. And um, in the scripture it says, and he fasted and prayed for 40 days, and he was hungry. Duh, right? We, we, we get that. So he was physically weak. He was at his weakest moment possible in his body, right? And so Jesus, in, in, to get ready for what was to come, he empties everything from his life and surrenders to God's plan for his life. And the person of Jesus, who was God at the time, he was fully God while he was here on earth, God in a body. might have been more easy for Jesus to empty himself of his humanity because he was perfect, he was holy. But the person of Jesus who also was fully human, just like you and just like me, right? I guarantee you it wasn't easy to go 40 days without eating. Amen, right? 40 minutes is hard enough. You guys might have eaten a snack on the way here, and you're probably tapping your foot to wooden's lunch, right? That happens, okay? So the result of Jesus discipling uh, disciplining himself to fast, it was that it prepared him completely for what was on the horizon. Purified his heart by, by willfully surrendering the involuntary act of eating so that he could focus on what God's will for his life was. And so he gave his life over to fully rely on God's strength while he was in the wilderness. And when you hear the word wilderness in Scripture, it's also a metaphor, right? I don't know if Jesus was out in the desert doing whatever. Probably was off in a pretty remote area, okay? But when he talked about the parable of the prodigal son, they talked about a far-off country, a distant place, that wilderness type of, of place that we all can get where we feel alone, where we feel like nobody is there to help us. That's, what, uh, that's where we go, and it, it's a physical the, the weakest physical point of our lives. And to date, this point when Jesus was in, the, in the, the wilderness for 40 days, not having eaten, he was at the physical weakest point of his life. And Satan comes to him and tempts him because he was weak. Satan never come to you when you're weak and tempt you with things because that's what he did. Satan tempts him. He tests Jesus and he challenges him to do things that are outside of the will of God. And the answer was always, it is written. Jesus responded with scripture. And he was ready for what the devil was going to give to him. The challenge was accepted. And three times the, the devil, he, he challenged and he tempted Jesus. But Jesus had surrendered himself to the will of God, not to the will of himself. He prayed to his father while he fasted, and his heart was totally prepared for the moment that God was planning for him. Prayer and fasting is a tandem. It happens all throughout Scripture. Fasting was not just something that Jesus came up with um, there on, on the spot when he was on earth, right? It was something that had been a common practice throughout the centuries, and throughout Scripture, it's proven to be a catalyst for some of the God's most amazing moments in history. We're going to talk about one of those today in the Old Testament. 
Because it's fasting is centered totally on God and nothing else around us. It's not a way to get God to do what we want to do, even though it helps us to see clearly and become what God wants to do, what we want to do. Does that make sense? So uh, fasting is about God giving you his plan and, and giving you the tools that are needed to execute that plan. God might, have just, uh, might just give you the clarity of heart to see a situation a little better, to have a better filter of what's going on in your environment, right? Through fasting, God might infuse you with the strength and the courage that will be necessary to push forward with what's ahead. Because what's ahead in God's will might not be a breeze. Amen. There's a lot of things that we don't get to go around or go over or go under. We have to go through them. And that's where our hearts need to be prepared. And through fasting, God will show you what, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So one place in the Old Testament we see how fasting and surrender through prayer can, get the, uh, it can change the entire course of a nation. And um, if, you, if you turn to the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah, uh, we're going to meet a guy that had a vision for the future that uh, he used the practice of prayer and fasting. So if you look in Nehemiah, it's after all the first and seconds in, in Scripture in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, there's Ezra, then Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is one of the final books that's written in the Old Testament, about 420 B.C. And if you're not familiar with Bible history, uh, about 400 B.C., from then until when Jesus was born, God was silent, right? Doesn't mean he wasn't present. Just means that he did not speak through anybody here on earth, and nothing was recorded about what God was doing in the world, okay? God didn't just take a vacation for 400 years, so let's be clear on that. People just lived, and they relied on God, and they reflected on what God had brought them through. And, and just as a note, God, um, God was taking care of them during that 400 years. But Nehemiah writes this. It's, it's unique um, because it's the only book in the, in the Old Testament that's written in first person. It's him writing it about his experience. We don't see that. We see little pieces about maybe David wrote about who, uh, how things affected him. But this entire book was Nehemiah telling us, basically writing down how God used him, worked through him, and sustained him through some pretty hard times. It's basically his testimony. So we see uh, how prayer and fasting affected Nehemiah's life in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. We're going to read about 11 verses, so hold on tight. And uh, just kind of listen to the words that he used as he spoke to God. In the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, Judea and with, some, with some men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant and the survival the survived, that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem was broken down, and its gates had been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned, and I fasted, and I prayed before God. And then I said... This is his prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with love with those that, he, that love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you today, both day and night for your servants, your people, Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. But remember the instruction that you gave Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom redeem, who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and the prayer of your servants who delight in your revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. That's Nehemiah's prayer. Most likely, prayed it multiple times. Some, some piece of that prayer. And it coincided with him fasting to take the focus off of himself and denying himself things that were necessary in order to rely on the strength of God. Because he heard some very, a very concerning issue about his countrymen, about the Israelite nation. And how this, this, this is a story about how it affected Nehemiah's heart. So he turns to a spiritual discipline to pray, to fast, to focus in on what God... He didn't start complaining. He didn't start griping and talking bad about God about for not atta- and, didn't, uh, and not attaching himself to something else for answers. He didn't try and handle this situation on his own, partially because it was impossible. He was a slave at the time. So he fasted and he prayed and he focused his heart on the vision that God was going to give him for the future. But the final six words tell us that it was important and why Nehemiah needed to do all this fasting, all this praying because of the situation he was in. I was a cupbearer to the king. So God took a servant, more specifically a slave, right? They're in captivity. They're in exile. And gave him the courage to go above and beyond his status. Because Nehemiah fasted and he prayed. God got him ready for the moment that was to come. That you can read about throughout the whole book of Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah was a slave in the position, uh, but his position was to be in the presence of the king daily. King Artaxerxes. And the Israelite nation had been taken into captivity. Not all of them were taken away, though. Some of them, when uh, the, the Jerusalem was sieged, they took off. They scattered, went out and hid in the bushes and did whatever. They went to a different uh, place. And so some of them had started to come back. Nehemiah, he's the cupbearer. His job is to taste and drink anything that was brought to the king. He's thirsty. Hey, I need a drink. They bring the cup to Nehemiah. He drinks it first. Nehemiah lives. The king drinks. Nehemiah doesn't get sick. 
the king drinks, right? Because of the nature of this position, though, I'm positive that Nehemiah prayed way more than what he wrote down right here. Prayers like this, God, please let me make it through this whole day. Please don't let this water be poisoned. Please don't let this have anything that will kill me, right? I think we'd all, those kind of prayers would probably pop up knowing what his job was. When Nehemiah heard a report from his people, some people came back from um, the, the vicinity of Jerusalem and they talked to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah um, heard about how desolate things had become in his hometown, in his church, in everything else. And so, um, so when these people came back, he, they, they didn't get, they, they, the people that were scattered came back and they were hurting. They're in disgrace. The people that lived there probably were making fun of them and, and putting all kinds of hardships on them. And this prompted him. It deeply saddened him. He said, I mourned for days and I fasted and I prayed. And it prompts him because if, he feels that in his heart, something has to be done, right? It's a lot like Moses in his burning bush situation. God just has to get his attention, maybe. And God gives Nehemiah, after disciplining himself to fast and to pray, he gives Nehemiah this vision for the future, right? The future to put God's plan into action. And from that vision, God also supplied Nehemiah with some physical attributes, right? The things that were necessary for him to take a positive step forward to make this vision come to life and let God's will unfold. I was a cupbearer to the king. And because of that job, Nehemiah, he knew the king, right? Not like uh, and God, he, he would speak to the king, well, when spoken to, because that's the way it worked, right? Nehemiah was a slave from another country. He had a relationship with the king, albeit probably pretty shallow, um, but his position had specific duties, and it did not include him chatting up the king. That wasn't his job. His job was to drink and then give the cup to the king. One day, after Nehemiah had fasted and he prayed, God presents him with this opportunity. And he does it because of his relationship that he had with King Artaxerxes. And, and he comes in with uh, the king's morning coffee, or whatever it was that he was drinking, and it's been tasted, and it's been approved, and he hands it over, and the king notices Nehemiah's demeanor, that his, that his whole face, his personality was drooping. It was sad. And in, in Nehemiah 2, chapter 2, he goes on and he says, why is your face, that's funny, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill, okay? This, this can't be nothing but sadness of heart. The king noticed a shift in Nehemiah's personality because of the hurt that was going on in his life, because of his concern for what was going on back in Jerusalem, in his hometown. Nehemiah comes to the king, and, um, and now like, this behavior, this sadness that Nehemiah was feeling, that was a no-no, okay? We don't, we don't show up the king with our own personal feelings. The only people that have feelings in that room are the king. And whatever, if the king's happy, then you're happy. Then you're happy that you get to leave with your, with your life. If the king's sad, you pass the cup and you bolt because you don't want to be around when the king is upset. But Nehemiah was sad and the king noticed. And eventually, because, uh, because of this 
uh, he shows up in the king's chamber, and he has this conversation with the king. And because the king notices Nehemiah is sad, he stops and he talks to him. He shows him a little grace, right? And he dives into his, and because he fasted and prayed, the opportunity, when, when it came, Nehemiah needed to be bold enough to go through with it, right? And in chapter 2, verse 3, the king asks him, um, what do you want, right? Well, he asked, you know, why are you sad? What's going on? And he, he says in, in, in verse 3, I'm, I was very much afraid. Why? Because I wasn't acting appropriately in the king's presence. He said, but... I said to the king, and that kicked the door open for what was to come. And God enabled the king to bring this vision for his people back and, and, and do some work in Jerusalem. And the king asks him, okay, I see this hurts you, right? What do you want? Well, when the king asks you, what do you want, you better be ready with the answer, Right? You better be like, well, can I get back with you? I need to go pray a little bit more. No, he'd already done that. He had fasted. God had prepared him to jump through and have the courage and boldness to do what he needed to do. And it empowered and it prepared him for what was to come. Because fasting and prayer, when practiced as a spiritual discipline, it purges you. It empties you of you. And he, the king lets Nehemiah go back. He, builds, he rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. And people eventually move back to Jerusalem. And then there's 400 years of silence in preparation for the Son of God to come to earth. It empties you of you, but it fills you with more of God. It's an, it's an out then in flow. Doesn't seem very natural. You say, well, it's in and out. No, it's an out, then an inflow, just like the Panama Canal, right? Where we empty, where we deny ourselves of us. Where God fills that empty space that we've emptied out with more of Him. And then what do we do? We move up, right? With the purpose of God taking us in our lives to a doomed destination that would never be possible without God's strength. That's what fasting is. That's what the purpose is. Denying ourselves by identifying what controls us, by making space in our heart and see the hand of God just take our lives and shape it into his will and it becomes alive in us. And in so last week, we had some questions, so similar here. How are you at fasting? Last week, it was how are you at praying, right? Honestly, um, I'll be truthful, not great. How are you at fasting? Pastor Paul will tell you, I'm, I'm not very good at it. Okay, my fasting, uh, making fasting a habit in my life is not at the top of my to-do list. It should be. Right, so this week has been pretty—it's been plenty convicting to me, in, in being able to understand that out then in process that God wants from us, because uh, the way that we approach this spiritual discipline needs to be a priority. 
It goes hand in hand with our prayer life. And it is hard. It's hard. It's hard to get out of the routine that you just have to do whatever you're doing, whether it's scrolling or eating or drinking or whatever the case is, right? So how are you at fasting? How, what, what is controlling you that you need to fast, that you need to let go of, right? Is it the, the physical part that can harm you and, and your families in different ways, and the drinking and the drugs, alcohol, food, all those things, the harsh things? Is it scrolling and scrolling on your phone? Is it the dangerous and damaging relationships that, that drag you to a place that we should never be? It's all about out, then in, right? That we empty ourselves of the things of life that we hold on to, that, we, that, that control us and take over our lives, and then we deny ourselves those things. It's a choice that you make just to open your hands and let go. The amount of filling that God gives us in, the, in response is immeasurable. That we, uh, we empty this space in our heart that, that, that we've given up and we've fasted and we've given away. And God fills that hole plus more than we can ever imagine. And it prepares us for what God has in store for what's coming up. God will give us the opportunities to be bold and courageous when it's needed because of what we've prepared our hearts to do, right? How many of you, would, if you knew something hard was coming up, you knew there was a diagnosis coming up, you knew that there was a relationship issue that was coming up, whatever the case is, that you would like to have the tools to get through that with God's help. We don't fast in the past. We have to do it now, right? Last week, our challenge was to pray. Seemed a, a little, it's pretty simple in theory, right? Because we sit down and we pray for our meals. Well, I prayed, right? This spiritual discipline of fasting, it's hard. It's hard to do. It's intentional. Because it's uh, not, not because of the physical nature of eating or drinking or whatever it is that you need to surrender, right, for a time, but because we have to take a long look at our lives, understand what's controlling us. Is it the right things? It's the wrong things in the areas of our life that we need to surrender. It's where God needs to be the priority, where God needs to be the source of our strength. So the challenge this week is it's to fast. Fast something this week, right? Maybe it's lunch. But we're not fasting lunch just so we can work through lunch and get done a little sooner, right, and go home early. In place of whatever you're giving up, spend that time that you would normally do it and, and just give, give yourselves up in prayer, right? Take that time for lunch and pray. Maybe social media time on your device. Fill that space with spending time in prayer. Let's do it together. You could even share what happens when you do it, what God does in your life with each other. I think that he would enjoy that. Amen? And let's not draw attention to ourselves. Let's not look all down, downcast and weak and lowly and, I mean, comb your hair. 
put the makeup on, do all the things that you do to make yourself look nice. Okay, that's what Jesus told us to do. But uh, let's allow God to prepare our hearts and our lives for what he has in store for us. Okay? Well, Lord, we're going to take some time to pray. We're going to um, sing a few more worship songs, and uh, then we'll have a benediction. And, and maybe today you want to pray um, about something specific, or you just want to come here and uh, kneel at the altars, which are always open for you to come and uh, just be alone with God. Nobody's going to come and, and share with you. Nobody's going to come and pray with you, just you and God. And uh, spend some time alone with him um, as we pray. Our musicians are going to come and we're going to sing after we pray. But uh, let's, uh, let's all bow our hearts together today. Heavenly Father, we are humbled by the things that overtake our lives. And whether it be something simple like uh, our phone and our devices and just the, the sheer time that it overtakes to, to not be profitable in something else to the serious and bigger things in our lives that can, that can hurt us physically. It can hurt us, our families. It can hurt our futures. And Father, we, we want to give those things to you. We want to offer our lives to you today because we want your will to be done in our lives. We want your will to be done in this church so that when we move forward with anything that we do, it's because of you. And it's with your purpose and your strength and your will. Because we know that when we do those things, great things happen in our lives. Great things move forward because of our reliance on you. Lord, help us to take stock of the things that control us. Whether it's physical or mental or, or emotional things that we need to let go of. And, and be disciplined enough to give those things to you for a time and watch you unfold your will and your strength in our lives. We look forward to that, dear Father, as we fast and we pray and give ourselves over to you that your will be done in our lives. Lord God, we think about those that are hurting today that aren't able to join us because of health issues or sickness or maybe they're out on the road. Lord, just pray that you'll be with them, go where they are and touch their lives be with their families. Dear Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together and worship you. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.